It is who God is. And so as we, uh, as we look in the passage this morning, if you found your place in verse 12, would you say amen? Let's read together. <clears throat> Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. In the exercise of His will, He brought us forth by the word of truth so that we would be a kind of first fruits among His creatures. Let us pray. Father, as we open Your word this morning, it is our desire that our eyes would be open to the truth of Your word and that... Uh, our minds would comprehend the depths of your word and that our hearts would love your word. I pray this morning, Lord, that you do a work of encouragement and exhortation in our lives as we desperately need your guidance and your strength for each and every day. I pray, Lord, that you also, by your word, would do a work of admonition in each of our lives, encouraging us, but urging us to repent, to draw near to you, to forsake sin and folly, that we might follow you and pursue you and experience life abundantly. Lord, this morning as we come, we, uh, we present ourselves before you as sinners who are in great need of your grace. We pray, Lord, that you would deal with us graciously this morning and that you would open our eyes to see and confess our sin, to see and confess your goodness, and to respond to your great love with, uh, with grace, and to respond to your great love in such a way that we, uh, we submit our lives to you, and uh, we, we follow you with all that we are and all that we have. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. If you haven't found it yet, I want to invite you to open up the worship guide and find an outline in the worship guide that will help you walk through the sermon as we walk through the text this morning in James, beginning in chapter 1, verse 12. So God is good even in the midst of trials. And in verse 12, we're reminded of this. We're reminded that God is good. In fact, in verse 12, he begins by saying, Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life. This crown of life is what God has promised to those who love him. And so for the believer that perseveres under trials, he or she will receive the crown of life. This is the promise that James is, is bringing us in on in verse 12. We, we will receive this, this wonderful thing called a crown, and it's the crown of life. Verse 12 reminds us that God uses trials in our lives to forge our character and to shape our lives, fitting us for the kingdom of heaven. 
And so he says, blessed is the man who persevere, or blessed is a man who perseveres under trial. To be blessed then is to be one who is favored by God. To be blessed is to be one who's favored by God or, or who is a, a disciple of Christ, to know the presence and the power of God's Holy Spirit in our lives. This blessed man, this blessed woman is one who has been supplied the power to battle and be the victor over temptation in his or her life. The one who has been empowered with the ability to endure, persevere under trials. You see, a person cannot receive the crown of life unless he or she first is converted to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the reference, we would kind of refer back to chapter 1, verse 1 here, and just quickly note James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. We kind of laid out in the beginning that initial, uh, that initial sermon text where we said this is James equating God and Jesus as Lord, saying one is loyal to God and loyal to Christ, therefore one is loyal to both and one in the same. It is not to be divided in heart, but saying that we serve God as God and Lord. We are loyal both to God and to Lord as His bondservants, as servants. And to be loyal to one is to be loyal to the other. And so there must be this, uh, this point made for those who are uh, trusting, who are persevering and enduring under trials, that we serve the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is significant, significant because these are the ones who are blessed. Blessed to receive the crown of life. These are the ones who are blessed as they persevere through trial and they receive this crown. So this crown of life is promised to those who love Him. Those who love God. And to love God is to faithfully persevere in the midst of trials, remaining steadfast in our faith. So that in the midst of the trial that we experience, we are experiencing solidarity with Christ. Our identity, we're identifying with Christ in the midst of His sufferings as we suffer. And so then what happens is we, we pass the test. We are approved. And trials become the proving ground through which the believer is approved and passes the test. The trials then are the proving ground in the lives of God's children. And thereby, when one is approved, he receives, she receives that which God has promised to all those who love him. That is the crown of life, the crown of life. And thus we, we suffer through trials, we experience this solidarity with Christ, and, and this teaches us, get this, it teaches us to have joy in the midst of suffering as we understand and identify with Christ in the midst of the suffering, in the midst of the trial that we walk through. And here's what God's wisdom does as we refer back to verse 5 as we've kind of walked through this whole thing. Consider all joy, my brethren, encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And then he says, but if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously, right? And without reproach. 
And thus, as we suffer through these trials, as we identify with Christ in our suffering, it's God's wisdom then that comes and, uh, comes and undergirds us and, and teaches us to have spiritual contentment in the midst of physical ailments, in the midst of trials that we walk through, knowing that even if the trial ends in our death, here's the thing, we are promised life. It's the crown of life. This is the crown of eternal life. This is the reward for those who persevere and walk through the trials. This, this is the reward for all those who are undergirded and strengthened to endure in the midst of life's difficulties and in the midst of the temptations that are, 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 are assailing us. These are the ones who persevere in the midst of trials and These are the ones whose faith is proven because it's been tested and they are approved and they receive the unfading crown of glory, the crown of life. You see, through trials, we learn what it's like to groan in our flesh. We learn what it's like to not allow the flesh an opportunity to cause us to fall into temptation. And we learn that putting the desires of the flesh to death is a necessity. We learn this as we walk through trials. We learn what it means to submit not only our desires to God, but our whole being, our whole selves to God. We learn this as we walk through trials and suffer through temptation. And in in so doing, we learn what it is to grow further and more distant from worldliness. And we learn what it is to grow closer in proximity to holiness. We learn these things as we walk through trials and walk through the proving ground and the testing in life that we go through. You see, we learn and we take on God's moral character as we persevere through trials and we grow in endurance. So he says, blessed is a man who perseveres under trial for once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life. And this is what the Lord has promised to him, to her. That that faithful brother, that faithful sister who endures these trials will receive the crown of life. So don't lose sight, beloved, of the work of God and the work that God is doing in your life through difficult times. Though it is difficult now, it is a work of glory. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18, the Apostle Paul says, but we all with unveiled face beholding as in a mirror the the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory just as the Lord the Spirit you see when we are saved our transformation is not instantaneous instead our transformation happens day by day trial by trial as we walk through difficult times we are being shaped and fashioned ultimately into the perfect image of god the image that was before the fall and perfect but now since the fall has been marred by sin we are being transformed from glory to glory glory in that we now see the mystery and the hope of the gospel that God has poured out in our lives through Jesus Christ but glory in that we we are becoming we are being transformed into and shaped and fashioned into that which God desires to bring us to in eternity is the process of sanctification that is happening in our lives as we are being tested and we are walking through trials we are engaging 
in our faith, depending upon the Lord Jesus. So don't lose sight that God desires to do a work in and through our lives and in and through the trials that we walk through. This crown of life, it is for all those who persevere under the trial. It's the same crown that Paul speaks about in 1 Corinthians 9, 24 and 25 where he he encourages us to run for the imperishable wreath, that crown, that eternal life. And and in 2 Timothy 4, 8, the crown of righteousness that he speaks of in 1 Peter Peter 5, 4, the unfading crown of glory that he speaks of. And in Revelation 2, 10 to the church of Smyrna, that crown of life, this eternal life, it is honor and it is the full endowment of all that God has promised for the believer this is eternal life and the crown of life is the blessing that God gives to those who persevere under trial but we must turn our attention from verse 12 to verse 13 and in Turning our attention from 12 to 13, we move from one who has endured to the one who's about to throw in the towel. And you see in verse 13, let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. James is teaching us here that man has responsibility in his sin. Man has responsibility in the temptation that he succumbs to. And really, in the remainder of the passage from verse 13 through verse 18, we see two different sides of the same coin. We see man's responsibility, and we see God's divine enablement. Each man and woman is responsible for how he or she responds to temptation. And so we need to distinguish between this word trial and this word temptation or this word testing. Because look in verse 12. Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial, right? And then look in verse 13. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil and he himself does not tempt anyone. Verse 14. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. This word for tempted, it's the same root word for the word trial in verse 12. Let a man persevere under trial. Let no one say when he is tempted. Same root word. Comes from the same word. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God doesn't tempt anyone. He himself is not tempted by evil. And so it's not God that tempts us to evil. It's not God that's enticing us to sin. We'll see in a moment. It's rather comes from within. But the same word is used back in verse 2. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. The same word, this distinction between trial and testing. The word that's used for trial in verse 12 and used for, 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 for trial in verse 2 is the same word that's used here in verse 13. And James's point, though, is clear. It is that trials are the proving ground for our profession of faith. And trials are the out circumstances of life which provide believers an opportunity for the inward exercising of our faith. And so as we walk through the trials in life, we inwardly are exercising faith, depending on God as we walk through the trial. 
Genesis chapter 22, verse 1, with Abraham. Abraham, knowing that Isaac was a son of promise, Genesis 22, 1 says this, Now it came about after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. And he goes on, Take your son, your only son, and offer him there on the mountain as a burnt offering. So Abraham rose early in the morning, and he saddled his donkey. And what did he do? He went obediently. Knowing that God wasn't leading him to do something that was sinful or against his will, but simply submitting and walking by faith, Abraham being provided the opportunity to walk through the testing. Judges chapter 2, 21 through 23, we've been walking through Judges in our time in Sunday school. But we see the testing that God brings upon the nation of Israel when he says, I will also no longer drive out before them any of the nations which Joshua left when he died in order to test Israel by them, whether they will keep the way of the Lord to walk in it as their fathers did or not. So the Lord allowed those nations to remain, not driving them out quickly, and he did not give them into the hand of Joshua. You see, the great temptation when we walk through trial and the one that James here is warning us against is the one of accusing God of tempting us. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. In fact, it's inconsistent with the character of God, with who he is, to even consider the notion that he would entice his children to sin. In fact, because it says, not only does it say in verse 13, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. God cannot be tempted by evil. It says he himself is not, does not tempt anyone. And where it says he is not tempted by evil, literally it says he is untemptable. He cannot be tempted. It's just, it's an impossibility. God cannot be tempted by evil. That is the character of who God is. He is good. He wants good. He is good. In fact, Scripture is clear that just the opposite happens. In 1 Corinthians 10.13, Paul writes, No temptation has overtaken you, such as is common to man. And God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. You see, even in the midst of temptation, God provides a way of escape for His children. And so this is the call to those who are persevering in the midst of trial. Don't lose sight of what God is doing. Don't lose sight of bringing us from glory to glory. Don't lose sight of how God is working and He is good. And He's doing this trial. He's working through this trial in our lives to, to grow our endurance and to build us, to fashion us and fit us for His kingdom. You know, we hear all kind of false statements and philosophies when it comes to our sin and why our sin is not our fault, right? There's the genetic argument, I I was born this way. God wouldn't have created me this way if he intended for me not to live in in this way. And I don't want to make light of any uh, genetic predispositions that people have, um, but simply because there is a passion within us, it doesn't mean that it's right to act out upon that passion. That passion can be sinful there's the argument that i've heard from so many 
uh, on, on so many occasions that says, you know, I'm just not happy. I'm not happy in this life. I'm not happy in my marriage. I'm not happy in, in, in such and such or, uh, or, or this job. And, and so I, God doesn't want me to be unhappy. God wants me to be happy. And the problem with these mindsets and these, uh, these thoughts are that they are completely unbiblical and they go against God's very word. They go against who He is and His character. They go against who God, uh, what God has commanded in the life of His children. There's another, another one that we hear a lot. God won't give me more than I can handle, right? This thought that God doesn't give us more than we can... You know, God's not, we walk through trials and we say, God's not going to give me more than I can handle. That's wrong. God does, in fact, give us more than we can handle. He allows us to experience more than we can handle. Why? So that we will cast our cares and depend upon Him. This is who God is. He wants us to come to Him. He wants us to depend upon Him. No, when we're walking through a trial, it's not about us handling it. It's about depending upon Him. It's about asking God for His wisdom to know how to walk through so that we exercise our faith in a way that is consistent with who God is and it is a testimony to others as we walk through the trial you see God desires that we would come and as Jesus says in Matthew 11 that we would be yoked with him that we would cast our cares upon him and take upon ourselves his yoke for his yoke is easy and his burden is light let no one say when he is tempted I'm being tempted by God for God cannot be tempted by evil and he himself doesn't tempt anyone I want you to see in verse 14 the source of temptation. Man's responsibility. We see our responsibility. But the source of temptation comes in verse 14. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. You see where that comes from? It's internal. It comes from within. Each one is carried away uh, and, and he's enticed by his own lust. Verse 14 when we're tempted, we're enticed by our own lust. You know, I think a lot of us, many of us, probably all of us, know this progression all too well in our lives, if we're honest, where temptation begins to well up, and that temptation leads us down a road, and we begin to entertain uh, the uh, this seductive thought, whatever it might be, the lustful desire, and it doesn't just have to be uh, of a, a sexual nature, it can be of anything that is not right for us. And this temptation is being, uh, it's carrying us along and it's, it's dragging us away. And, and really the idea here in verse 14, the connotation of this word that it carries us away, it's that it drags us away with, with an initial reluctance to it. We don't want to succumb to the temptation, but but the one who doesn't endure is carried away by it. And it's like the constant battering of water against the levee that breaks at its weakest point. And so temptation, uh, it, 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 it tempts us and it comes to us in the desires of our flesh. Not only that, it says in verse 14, when, when we're tempted, we're carried away and then we are enticed by our own lust. That word lust, it's our own Desire, this word entice, it means it's, it's like a bait. It's baiting us, pulling us away. 
Proverbs 13, 19, 3 says, The foolishness of man ruins his way, and his heart rages against the Lord. A buddy of mine wanted to take me fishing, and uh, he wanted to take me to a secret hole. Now, all you fishermen know what the secret hole means, right? It, no one else knows about it, but you're, gonna, you're going to catch a lot of fish. So we get there, and he says, well, um, he said, by the way, the boat's small, so we have to leave your tackle box in the truck, and we'll just bring mine. Don't worry, I've got plenty of tackle. So okay. And so we get in the boat, and we start fishing, and we're using this bait. It's called a crankbait, but it just dives in the water and comes back up and dives in the water. And uh, as, we're, uh, as we're fishing, he starts pulling in some fish. And I said, hey, man, what gives? Uh, he said, you, you've got a crankbait, I've got a crankbait. It, it's all good. I said, yeah, but I want one that color. Well, I don't have one that color. I said, that's the problem. I've got one that color in my box. And uh, so he, oh, it's not the color. Uh, it's not the color. It's just, uh, you just cast where I cast. Okay. So he casts. He pulls one in. I cast right behind him. And I don't pull one in. He casts back. And he pulls one in. I cast back. I don't pull one in. I said, here, you take this pole and give me yours. So he did. He gave me his and. Sure enough, I cast, I pull one in, he casts, and he doesn't pull one in. (laughs) I cast again, I pull one in, he casts, he doesn't pull one in. You see, there was a color that the fish wanted. It was the bait that they wanted. They didn't want this one color. It It wasn't luring them away. It wasn't causing them to bite. But it was this one color, this one specific, no other color would work, but this one specific color This one color was the bait that enticed the fish to bite. You know, the way temptation works is it plays on our unholy desires. There might be an initial reluctance at first, and that bait that's thrown out there in our mind, it doesn't really look that good, but the next bait that comes, it seems a little more enticing, and the payoff seems good. It, it's great. The payoff is immediate satisfaction, immediate gratification. But we become then like the fish that's enslaved by the bait that's caught on the hook, and we can't get off, and we're unable to free ourselves from the deadly sting of sin. And this is the progression where temptation carries us along, and we are enticed into the sin, and our own desires in the flesh snatch us, and we are carried away, before we know it, into sin, and we are left struggling in the midst of our sin because we have not fought against the flesh, not depended upon God's Spirit, but simply yielded to our sin. You know how this works in your own life. I don't have to give you an example of how sin wells up within us and how we submit to it and how we chase it and come out after the bait. What James is telling us, this is the desire that is within us. We are tempted by evil that is within. And when we are tempted, we are carried away and enticed by our own lust. And it is that this desire within us, left to the flesh, is an evil desire that longs for satisfaction and immediate gratification. 
And so when temptation leads to sin, here's what happens. It brings forth death. When temptation leads to sin, it brings forth death. Look in verse 15. Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. Here's a picture. Lust is conceived, right? Picture of birthing the baby from the womb. When lust is conceived, it then gives birth to sin. When this desire is acted upon, it gives birth to sin. Verse 15. And when sin is accomplished, when it's mature, when it grows up, it brings forth death. What a tragic picture of the devastation of sin. Temptation enticed by my own lust, my own desires. And then lust conceives and it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, in other words, when it has run its course, here's what it does in our lives. It brings forth death. You know, it takes time for sin to run its course in our lives. The immediate sting of sin is it's a prick. Then it's a little bit more difficult, and then before long, sin has brought us to a place where we feel dead inside. We feel unable to battle against the flesh because we have lacked self-control. We have lacked dependency upon the Spirit for so long. It, I read a convicting line in one of the commentaries, the NIV application commentary. The writer says, James wants us to know that sin, when mature, Listen, sin when mature is a fixed habit. It's something we return to. If we're not wary, we can become trained in evil, which is a sobering thought. You see, we must realize that when sin grips our lives, it's devastating. And here's what it does. It skews our whole perspective, our whole mindset. It's not okay to allow sin to remain in our lives. Hear me, believer. We must battle against the temptation of the flesh. And we must run from the mindset that, would, that says that our sin is, is small and it's okay because God's grace is sufficient and, and my sin, after all, doesn't affect others. But realize the devastating consequences and effects of sin. Sin is producing death in you and me. And it's time for us to recognize the devastating effects of sin. And we must flee. We must run as if we're running for our very lives. Because the reality is, we are. We're running for our very lives. And this sin, as Hebrews 12.1, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. The question is, believer, are you running with endurance? Let me just tell you, battling against the flesh and temptation is not something that the believer, that a person can do in and of their own strength. We will succumb to our own lust and desire, and we will fall far short of God's glory That's where the good news comes in, God's divine enablement. God's divine enablement in verses 16 through 18 is this. First off, he says, do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. In other words, don't don't miss this and don't miss the truth that he's about to speak in verse 17. 
That is, that God is the source of good. He is the source of everything that is good. He is the source of what is good. Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. In a world that is ever changing, God is the one constant that never changes. He always remains true to His character. He is always good. He is not a boring God by any means. Instead, He is just. He is righteous. He is good. He is perfectly holy. Therefore, He is the source of every good thing given and every perfect gift. So He says, don't be deceived, my brethren. This thought fitted together with verse 17 is instructive for us. Don't think that good comes from anywhere but God. God is the author of everything that is good. It comes from Him. God is the sole giver of every good and perfect gift. And it says, coming down from the Father of lights. Get the picture. Creator of the cosmos. The one who is controller and sustainer. The one who has created the stars, the heavenly lights. The one who has created the earth, the sun, the moon, and all of the planets and the galaxies. This one God who has created all things, He is good. And He is the giver of every good and perfect gift. This is coming down from the Father of lights. He who has created the stars and the planets. He has fixed them. He has put them in their places. With whom, listen to the description, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. Not only is He good, He remains the same. He is constant. He does not change. What is the one most stable thing you can think of in our galaxy that does not move is it not the sun i mean the sun doesn't really rise and set does it we say that but the earth is what moves the sun sun is the the center of our galaxy Everything revolves around the sun, and the picture is, it's here. He is the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. God is the one who is stable, who is there. He does not change. He is perfectly holy, perfectly good. You don't have to worry about God changing. He does not change. James uses the most stable illustration that we have to give us a glimpse of just how wonderful and great God is. God's character being unchangeable. He is untemptable. He cannot be swayed. In Him there is no variation. There is stability. There is truth. There is justice. There is love. There is compassion. There is mercy. And there is grace. And So I I want us to see finally this morning that God's good gift is the gift that we have in His Word. Verse 18, In the exercise of His will, He brought us forth by the Word of truth so that we would be a kind of first fruits among His creatures. God's good gift through the Word of truth brings forth life. Now don't miss what James is saying here. There's a contrast, a strong contrast between verse 18 and verse 15. 
in verse 15, it's, we see the exercise of man's will, man's desire, verse 14 and 15, at the end of 14, enticed by his own lust, and when lust of that desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. So we see the exercise of man's will, or man's desire, brings lust, and it, it, it gives birth to sin, and then it brings forth death. But then we also see in verse 18 the exercise of God's will and how God's will brings forth the word of truth in our lives and instructs us and teaches us through Holy Spirit. And guess what it does? It leads to life. Here's the the difference between my will and God's will. Christian, what's the answer? Submit my will to God's will. Submit my flesh to God and His His work in my life. You see, it's through God's Word that life comes. In the exercise of His will, He brought us forth by the Word of truth. This is God's will. This is who God is. His character that does not change. By the exercising of His will, He brought us forth, giving us birth. This is birthing language. He, he gives us Birth by the word of truth. It is God's truth. It's what Paul proclaimed in Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. For the Jew first and then for the Greek. God's word is the word of truth. It is a word that brings life. It, he is the standard for truth. He, he is untemptable. He doesn't change. And it's His Word and the expression of His will that brings us forth by this Word of truth so that we would become and be a kind of first fruit among His creatures. That is, we as Gentiles, having received the mystery of the Gospel, the Word of truth, It is for the salvation of our souls being among the first fruits of God's creatures. We have experienced the wonderful mercy and grace of God and the mystery of this gospel. The good news of Christ for the salvation of the souls of mankind. So understand this, that before God, man's responsibility is that when we walk through temptation, we are responsible when we fall into sin. It is this process that we walk through as we fall into sin. But God's gracious provision is that by the word of truth, we don't have to succumb to the flesh, to the desire, but we, we can walk through these times of temptation, drawing from His wisdom, looking into His Word and experiencing His goodness. I want to challenge you this morning, believer. Are you running with endurance? Or are you falling far short and succumbing to temptation in your life? Is there a particular sin in your life that you have been struggling with and are unable, you have been unable to resist. You have been unable to defeat the sin in your life. God's Word is the Word of truth, and His power is real power that can strengthen us, teaching us how to deny the flesh, 
and the ungodly passion and desire of the flesh so that we submit to him. Maybe that's where you're at this morning and you need, you need to make a, a, a covenant with God and perhaps even a covenant with a brother or sister for accountability that you will depend upon them to ask you the hard question and to challenge you to get rid of this sin and to get it out of your life, to quit falling far short of God's glory and succumbing to temptation. Maybe this morning you realize that you don't even have what's needed to engage the flesh in this battle because the temptation in your life is so strong and so great you've recognized that maybe you've not even given your life or surrendered your life to Christ, that you don't know Jesus as Savior. Whatever be the case this morning, let me encourage you to this. As we come before God repentant, He hears our prayer and He wants to see us turn to Him. He wants to grow us from glory to glory, believer. If you don't know Jesus this morning and you sense Him leading you into a relationship with Him, I, I want to pray with you, talk to you about what that means. I'll, I'll be down front and I can speak with you this morning during our time of invitation and, and song that will play right after I finish speaking and praying. Um, or maybe you want to call this week and, and talk with me about it. I, I'll be more than willing to. I'd love to sp- talk with you or pray with you. Before our time this morning of response, I just want to invite you to um, consider your heart before the Lord. Spend time asking God to examine you and confess those things before the Lord and seek His strength. Let us pray. Father, You are good. We thank You, Lord, that uh, You are good to us even in the midst of our trials. And Lord, we all fall. We all fall down. We all sin. We all are in such great need of Your grace. We thank You, Lord, that You are ever the same. You're unchanging. And Lord, I pray for each one of us this morning as we uh, maybe deal with the sin in our own lives, confessing that before You, that You would strengthen us uh, to depend upon You and to walk in Your strength, to endure in the midst of trials and temptation. And God, we confess that we need you. We can't do this in our own strength. We know that and we confess it, Father. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.